Top of the morning to you, or afternoon or evening, whenever you may be listening. My name is Scotty, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 4 of Chip Time. It is, you're stuck with me again. It is another solo show today, but don't you worry, we have a guest lined up for next episode. Charles is going to be back. He's going to be breaking down his Boston Marathon experience and his half Ironman and how he was able to fit those in just a couple weeks apart. So fired up for that. But we still have plenty to get to today. We have our first race plan of the season as I am going into a 10K just about 12 hours from where I'm sitting at right here. It's going to be Saturday morning, May 7th. So I'm going to be going over a brief training update, what my plan is for that race, and just see how this rust buster goes because it is the first one of what hopefully will be a long, healthy, injury-free season. We also have some track and field to break down from last week where we had the Peyton Jordan meet, the Penn relays, the Drake relays, quite a lot going on. I'm going to be talking about the heavy hitters, if you will, from last weekend, as well as a preview of a couple more heavy hitters coming up this weekend. And also we have Division II Conference Championships, so Quite a bit. It is the most wonderful time of the year if you're a track and field fan. And if you're a casual uh, runner such as myself, it is also the most wonderful time of the year because spring races are back. There, There were a few in April for sure, but they are back pretty much every week in May through the fall for most of us. So an exciting time to be training and to be tuning in as fans. But before we get into the race plan for this heavy hitter 10K, I'm just going to say every race here we're talking about today is a heavy hitter. Uh, We have a very important stat correction from the last episode. So we talked about in depth my plan for the NCAA to fix this shenanigans with the lack of contact they're allowing. And while we don't want it to be uh, Mario Kart 64 out there, people throwing turtles at each other, there needs to be competitiveness to the point where you can go for a national title without the fear of being disqualified for merely rubbing elbows with someone in lane two. And when I got so uh, so caught up emotionally invested in this idea, I didn't do as much research about uh, Christian Noble, who we were covering in that revenge tour, as I coined it. And lo and behold, I was incorrect when I mentioned that he was only a DMR national champion Last year in 2021, he took home gold in the 3K and 5K. Looked it up on TFIRS, looked like some exciting results, but I was thinking back in last March for indoor, I was so caught up with D1 and the cross country championship since that was like pigeonholed into March last uh, early spring. That was why I missed 
D2. So th there's no excuse for a blunder like that. And uh, I got to say, Christian, I'm sorry, but uh, thanks for being chill about that. And good luck the rest of the season. But hey, we're all about accountability on this program, both with training and with our stats department. So I am going to point the, the pitchforks at me. And for the first time of season two, I got to say to myself... That's a chop. Right now. No, yeah. that's a chop, buddy. What, a, what was that? That was weird. Why are you chopping him? It's a chop, man. You say or do anything stupid, and that's a chop. So, yes, our, our first chop has been handed out here in Season 2. Hopefully not too many more for me, but uh, that was uh, definitely something I wanted to clear up. Because when you earn national titles, and uh, especially when I'm making an argument about title races... You gotta give credit where it is due. So switching gears to a much lower level of training and competitive racing, my 10K for tomorrow. Why did I sign up for this one? What's been going on? And for the show's sake, what are these training updates and, and racing plans going to look like? Maybe if you're new. Well, what we did a lot of in Season 1, uh, we being me and my co-host Mike, who certainly will be joining us soon here. He's actually running the Indianapolis Half Marathon tomorrow, so should have got him on here for his race plan. But uh, what we typically do is we set an A goal for your race, meaning if everything goes right, this is the result I feel my training will get me to. And then a B goal as well, because we've all been in races where whether it's early or in the middle, things just aren't going as you hoped. Uh, maybe it's a stomach issue. Maybe it is the weather was not what you thought it would be. Maybe the course is more daunting than you expected and there's more hills or rough footing. I, I did a race years ago. It was a five-mile leg of a, a marathon relay amongst us, and one of my miles was on, like, sand. And so there are just things you, you can't really plan for if it's your first time on a new course. And I can't think of a time, I was thinking about this earlier today, I can't think of a time where things didn't go according to plan, but they just went, like, overwhelmingly great like way better than expected, uh, because in the words of Mark Wetmore, there are no miracles in running. You have to put in the training to get to a level to race at a certain time that you're shooting for. So what we've done in the past is we've done those goals, and I had gotten into kind of a habit of pretty much every single episode giving an update of what I had been doing that week. And this is this one of the slight changes. We're not going to be doing that every episode. Uh, maybe once a month or so. Maybe if, if Mike and I do a certain workout, we'll break it down. But I felt like towards the end of season one there, in December, I was hopping on just like, yeah, I did more base training in the cold again. And it just, it wasn't as lively 
of a conversation. But because it has been a while, I just wanted to give a, a more brief recap of how my winter training was structured and what I've been up to in the early spring going into this 10K. So going into the winter, I had my A goal of training, which was to remain injury-free. That was number one because I've entered the last two springs injured. So I wanted to be injury-free and I wanted to get stronger. And so because of that, I sort of lowered my mileage and made that a bit less of a priority. Still wanted to be running consistently, but I really wanted to bolster my upper body strength because it had been four and a half years since I had been consistently lifting upper body. And I just wanted to feel a little bit less frail, a little bit less Pillsbury, and uh, yeah, just just get something while I was in this lower mileage state of training. And in January, we had the famous Lincoln Park episode of this podcast where I told you guys the secrets of how to feel jacked when you're a skinny dude at the gym. And that ended up just being the tip of the iceberg because I ended up not only making more friends at the gym, but I actually did get stronger too. And so I don't know an exact number of the amount of pounds of muscle I put on, but I am about 12 pounds uh, higher than I was last fall. It is certainly not all muscle. My, my belly will tell you that. But my shoulders and my chest are like noticeably, um, noticeably larger, but also like it, it's functionally noticeable when I do planks and push-ups and other certain exercises that these are a lot easier than they were when I had four and a half years of not putting in that type of emphasis in my workouts. So with all that being said, in a broad thousand foot view nutshell, this winter I did about 18 to 20 miles of running per week. I did about one to one and a half hours of the elliptical cross training. I did two or three um, upper body lifts. January, February, I did about two lifts a week. And then March, I did about three lifts per week. And then every single Wednesday, uh, except for one. So I, I had a good streak of maybe like 12 weeks or so. Um, I did an hour-long ab session with a group, and I'm still doing that on Wednesday nights. And in hindsight, like I mentioned, the gym work was all upper body. Some hamstring and calf work would have been smart, but when you are a bro, it is easy to put the blinders on <laughs> for those types of exercises. So, uh, as we, as we kind of exit the winter block, I really didn't do any speed work, but in that 18 to 20 miles, I maintained a long run every week. I just wanted some kind of aerobic base while doing this gym stuff. So my typical structure would be three runs a week. 
it would be usually two runs of four miles, bringing it to eight, and then your 10 to 12 will put it to 18 to 20. Um, even got one uh, long run of 18 miles with Mike and Joe with, with some of their ultra training. So I just kind of hopped in to people's long runs. I was that guy, just, hey, what are you doing? I'm just going to crash your party here. And uh, easy paces all around. Like I said, no speed work there. So shifting into mid-March, April, it really was a period of shaking off the rust because I had to kind of relearn what sub-seven-minute mile pace felt like. As, as much as I have uh, probably thousands of miles in my legs at that pace, when you're doing the type of training I did that was all base running, all in my easy pace zone for the most part, uh, you, you got to get back to that mentality. So it was shaking off the rust really, I'll be honest, probably longer than I needed to. I probably could have started doing some more anaerobic work in late March or certainly in April. But here in the great state of Michigan, we were blessed with essentially an extended winter. It really just did not let up. And, and even the times where we didn't have snow, it would just be 32 degrees and windy. And th there just never was a day where I was like, I'm going to do my first workout of the spring, uh, really through even most of April. So actually just a week ago, um, so Friday of last week, eight days before race day, was my first workout. And the word workout for, for anyone that hears that and says, what do you mean that was your first workout? You listed off all these things you're doing in the gym and, and all these runs you're going on. The word workout in the running world is really any time you're dipping into an effort level of your threshold variety. Um, it could be either a tempo run, it could be a fartlek, it could be work on the track, it could be hills, but it's anything where you're not just bopping along on the roads or the trails and you're, you're putting a higher amount of effort in. And so I always, 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 probably since 2015 maybe or 16, um, I start every spring with the same exact workout. It is a fartlek that is three minutes on, two minutes off times five. And I love this workout because it's effort-based. No matter what kind of shape you're in, you can do three minutes at a faster than normal run pace and then recover for two minutes of jogging at more of your standard pace. So um, I like using percentages of effort more than telling you guys what paces I was running because it's really just relatable to me um, rather than than you guys if I, if I said the paces. But in terms of effort, because I'm training, I was training for a 10K race, I decided to do my three-minute blocks at my 
quote-unquote 5k race pace that I sort of estimated for my current fitness and then for my two minutes off I still ran at the steady pace zone which is 70 to 75 percent effort so I didn't really back off to like a recovery pace you want to keep that rhythm going so it's less of a gear change between the ons and the offs so my workout was a full mile warm up at the steady pace zone went right into the three minutes on two minutes off times five that covered about three and a half miles maybe maybe 3.6 and then I had a cool down mile again at that steady pace zone and happened to have beautiful conditions out there and it was a really really productive uh, confidence booster just to dip into that even though those paces are a bit faster than I planned to run this 10k at it just felt good to get the legs turning over so when it comes to uh, that first workout of the season my goal is always to not compare your fitness right now to what you've done in the past just do what you gotta do to make yourself uh, take one step closer to that goal and the guy at the gym uh, our personal trainer who runs the ab circuit for us on wednesday nights he had a great saying when we were talking about a certain lift which is sometimes you've got to check your ego at the door if you really want to get better and not get injured and i had to do that with this workout because the pace that I was running just three minute segments is one that was honestly like my college long run pace, or at least what I would run some of the miles at. So yeah, it, it certainly is something that if you wanted to be Uncle Rico and, and think about the glory days, you would be discouraged. But what what my what the the trainer at the gym uh, and I were talking about was uh, a certain exercise called the rear pec flies and what you do with those is you can set those um, handles to a certain angle so you can either have them just about uh, straight uh, extending from your shoulders to where you're just kind of reaching out and then moving them forward or you can set them further back to where you're really reaching behind you and then um, and then taking them forward and you have to lower the weight if you're going to do that. that. That's why we say you got to check your ego at the door because it never feels good to lower that weight. But that's how training has been going. Um, I did attempt one more light tempo run earlier in the week and it, it didn't go great, but I did hit a couple decent miles at around the pace I plan to run tomorrow. So going into this, um, I know we mentioned A goals and B goals. I'm not that focused on time. The 10K, it's not my primary event. It's, it's really one I signed up just for fun because there are so many 5Ks in this local area and I didn't want to have my rust buster be like a half marathon or higher. So I just thought, 
10K sounds kind of fun. We'll give it a shot. And it sounds like this course, it's at a high school. It starts on the track, so that'll be kind of sick, actually. You start on the track, um, you kind of veer off around the school parking lot, and then I think we go to some trails. So I don't know if it is wooded trails or more gravel-type trails, but uh, potentially a little bit of cross-country here, which gets your boy amplified and excited. So a little bit of cross-country action potentially so yeah my I guess you could say a goal if everything goes right would be to run under 40 minutes um I, I think that's like it under 630 pace uh so that would be if everything goes right but I am more expecting of myself to be in that um in the 41s probably somewhere uh, so averaging more around 640 or 645 per mile and squeezing it down if we're feeling better. So that is the game plan. Mostly just excited to get out there, see some people, be in the running community again, and start to string along some races here. So the real A goal, as always, is going to be to just stay healthy and have a good time. But I'm looking forward to it and uh, probably should be getting to bed pretty soon. If, if, you, if you know, last time we talked about some sleeping advice. So with that, I think it's time we take a quick break and then we will get into our recaps of last week in track and field and our previews of what is going on this weekend. So last week in track and field, we were spoiled, as is the case a lot of this outdoor season, but there there always seems to be one meet that rises to the top. And I'm not saying that one meet was the only good one, but there were two that stuck out and one that was that top dog this weekend. So in my opinion, if we're calling it how it is, the Drake Relays was not as heavy of a hitter as it was last year. I think because they didn't have Peyton Jordan last year, if I'm remembering correctly, um, that may have driven more of the long-distance variety athletes to Drake. I remember Nico Young set the U25K record, and Morgan McDonald was there. It was pretty exciting meet but the long distance stuff was not as great at drake but the two meets that really did deliver were number one peyton jordan the long distance stuff was absolutely crazy some of these 5k and 10k times that were thrown down and women's 1500 as well but the best meet of the weekend in terms of the viewing experience I think it had to be pen relays. Pen relays always delivers. And that was another one that we didn't have last year because the gosh darn Ivy League was uh, not going to risk the, uh, the COVID implications of having a track and field season. And so they did not have athletics. But thank goodness we were back in action at Franklin Fieldhouse 
and there were some good teams there. There were some heavy hitters of professionals there. I guess we're, heavy hitters is uh, is the buzzword today, but I'm telling you, there certainly were some of the heavy hitters there. And you may be wondering, Scotty, you said that this meet was on Flow Track Pro. How did you watch it? Because you were literally booing that service on the last episode. And I have a couple answers for you. Um, I'm going to give sort of the summary version. Then we're going to break down the top races. And then I think it's time we give a, a more full explanation of my beef with Flow Sports LLC. Because I have hinted at it for quite a while. And much like my beef with the NCAA that we we talked about last week, it's time to really air these grievances and have more of a therapy session of sorts about what these guys are doing over at FlowTrack. But before that, to give the quick explanation, they posted most of these races like pretty soon after they finished up. So between like... Saturday or maybe it was Sunday and like Tuesday um all of the heavy hitting races I need to stop saying that I need a shock collar all of the big races had been posted on their YouTube channel so those are available for the general public the common man and I am a common man and I said I have YouTube so I might as well watch these. And even though you see the results beforehand, the entertainment factor for these relay races, you don't see in the result. It all goes down to how these races unfolded. So I'm going to be breaking down just, in my opinion, the top three races. The first one, it was gone in the blink of an eye. So there's not much to break down here. But Arian Knighton, who is 18 years old, United States track and field runner, made the Olympic team in the 200 last year as a 17-year-old. He ran 19.49. He ran 19.49. That is a time you don't hear every day. That is a time... We have not seen in over a decade. That is the number four all-time 200-meter mark. And it is the number two all-time American mark. That's right, the only athletes ahead of this 18-year-old, Arian Knighton, are Usain Bolt, Johan Blake, the legendary Jamaican duo, And MJ, Michael Johnson, is the only American ahead of him. Michael Johnson, a eight-time gold medalist, zero-time silver medalist, zero-time bronze medalist, the, the greatest American sprinter of all time, who many still argue is the greatest just flat-out sprinter of all time. And so people are starting to murmur, could Arian Knighton be the one to take down Michael Johnson's records. 
Noah Lyles has been the one for a couple years that people have been zoning in on. He's run 19.5 in the 200 meters back in 2019. And it's not like he's out of it yet. I mean, he's in his early 20s as well. But to be doing this at the age of a college freshman and have those kind of names in front of you, for a distance running podcast, we we had to, t- to tip our caps for that. So big shout out to uh, Mr. Arian Knighton for that one. Um, I don't think he was at Penn Relays. I think he was actually at like LSU, perhaps. I, I watched the video and it didn't seem like a lot of fans were there, but he just cooked a pretty impressive NCAA field. So shout out to him. The next one we got to talk about moving up a little bit is the women's 600 meters. So a thing Mo was going after the world record and finished within a second of it. So she also ran the number four time in history, in this case, the women's 600 meters. And that was a loaded field, as I said um, in, in the preview, where you had a thing, Mo, Olympic gold medalist from last year. You had I.J. Wilson, the world indoor gold medalist this year. You had Nia Akins and uh, Natalia Gould, and also Sophia Goriaran, the high school junior, was the X factor in this race. How is she going to perform with these multiple gold medalists in this field in kind of a, in, in what's it called, unconventional event, the 600 meters. And oh boy, did she show incredible strength. Ajay Wilson took it out quick. She was, uh, she was leading, at least from what I remember. Then a thing Mo pulled away. And she has some of the cleanest form that I have ever seen, just takes it away, but behind her, there was a close finish between like four or five women for second place, and Sophia actually ended up beating Natalia Gould and Ajay Wilson. I'm pretty sure Nia Akins finished ahead of her, but she took down the woman who just won the world indoor gold medal, and this is like a a 16 or 17 year old. So absolutely wild stuff. And uh, it kind of felt like Ajay Wilson is passing the torch to Sophia just because she was such a prevalent teenage runner in her time. I believe she's the same age as me. And it it feels like she's been in the professional scene forever since she went pro right out of high school. So really a special moment to see how close those two finished and that the youngster took the uh the the higher place than the uh the master if you will but the last race i wanted to recap from last week was so entertaining and it was hard to just pick one here because the men's dmr and the men's four by mile were also very, very fun races to watch. Highly recommend them. But the women's four by 1500 was absolutely electric. You line them all up, 
you got a good field overall. Don't get me wrong, great field. But there are two juggernauts in this field. You had the Arkansas Razorbacks, who just won the distance medley relay at the NCAA Championships indoors just about a month and a half ago. But you also got the cross-country national champions, the NC State Wolfpack. The current 4x1500 meter record had been 1708 from the Tennessee Lady Volunteers back in 2009. And you just had a, an energy out there in Franklin Field. This record's going down. All right. It's a matter of how much it's going to go down. So they needed to average under 417 per 1500 meter leg to get this record. Thank goodness a mark that that I was able to run back in the day. But but it's not easy. I can vouch for that. And what made this race so exciting was the back and forth. And that's why I said you can't just tell from the results how exciting this race was. It's everything you could want with the lead changes. They get out there. Isabel Van Camp from Arkansas has a slight lead over NC State. Hands off to Logan Jolly, who anchored that DMR National Championship. But then Samantha Bush from NC State ends up closing that gap. She takes the lead. So halfway through, NC State leading the race. But strategically, Lance Harder puts Lauren Gregory of Arkansas on the third leg, who is still leading the NCAA in the 10K. So more of a strength-based runner. But she's got some wheels, and she is able to take down the gap that NC State built with Samantha Bush, and Lauren Gregory gives her anchor leg, Chrissy Gear, who ran the 800-meter leg in that national championship DMR, she gives Chrissy Gear about a 15-meter lead. But who's the anchor on NC State? It is, of course, Caitlin Tuohy, who is leading the NCAA in the 5K right now. So I, I got to say it again. I'm sorry. Heavy hitters in this anchor leg. And so Gear, she's got about a 15-meter lead. And these are both multi-time All-American runners in cross-country and indoor and outdoor. It is just buzzing into an incredible anchor leg finish. And Caitlin Tuohy runs a very smart race from second position. She puts in about uh, five meters of the gap. She closes down in the first lap. In the second lap, she she gets closer to being attached to Chrissy Gear. And then it's that third lap where she finally makes the pass. And if I'm remembering correctly... It was with about 500 meters to go that she passes Chrissy Gear, and she tries to squeeze down the pace. So she didn't want to wait until there was like 100 meters to go because Chrissy Gear does have the faster 1500 meter PR for a potential sprint finish if you thought of it that way. Caitlin Tui tried to assert herself a bit earlier and she's pressing it she's got the lead she's taking it down 
and she just finished second place in two events at Indoor Nationals. So you know she has an excellent sprint finish and is not used to being hawked down by anyone. So Tui is pressing it, and you got to think about this too. Mentally, when you lose a lead that late, it's hard to come back. It's hard to to kind of uh, whip those legs back in place when you've relinquished a lead. But this is where she she just did something absolutely incredible. They get about halfway around the track, and with about 250 meters to go, Tui still in the lead, but Chrissy Gear engaged right behind her. She shifts into first gear. She shifts into second gear, and then she shifts into the Chrissy gear, and she takes over Caitlin Tui, and you see a bit of surprise, like, where did this come from? Because Tui was absolutely cooking, but with 200 to go, Chrissy gear just blows the doors off her, and it was still a close finish. Arkansas won by about two seconds, but it was an incredible race. The back and forth was so exciting. They all dogpile on Chrissy Gear after that finish, and they ended up running 16.53, which was, I mean, trying to do the math here, uh, 15 seconds under that former record, and NC State was 13 seconds under that former record. So, like I said, just Everything you would want from a track and field race that delivered and go to the flow track YouTube and watch it. I'm about to talk about my beef with those guys, but for that race, you have to watch it. It was incredible. And one thing someone brought up in one of the comments that I thought was spot on was why don't we have, maybe not a 4 by 1500 but why don't we have a distance medley relay at Outdoor Nationals? Because the guy's DMR was so exciting as well. But I don't know why, what the reason is for that. Um, it's probably not a very good one. Because believe it or not, we do have the technology to measure these distances 400, 800, 1200, 1600, that we measure on indoor tracks. I know it sounds confusing. I know it seems maybe unrealistic, but I swear, I know we have the technology to measure these distances on an outdoor track as well. I'm sure there are some who don't believe me, but but trust me on that one. So in terms of this corporation, this limited liability company that I alluded to earlier, the Flow Sports LLC, known as Flow Track. In our case, why do I have an issue with them? Well, I'm going to do a little good cop, bad cop here because it feeds into my grievances. As far as the good cop part of it, I am saying not sarcastically at all, their coverage of pen relays was phenomenal. You watch these races, they had great commentary throughout. They had more of a play-by-play variety, but also kind of a color guy giving some more input. 
And they called the race as well. They really did add to the excitement. And you could tell that they were able to communicate that energy that the crowd at Franklin Field was exhibiting. And when you hear me say something like that, that that they did an excellent job, you're probably thinking, oh, okay, so your issue with them is probably just that. It's an expensive subscription, right? Well, that's, that's part of it. That is part of it, but that is not the whole puzzle. My issue overall with FlowTrack, there's a couple things, is that they don't provide that level of premium content all year round. They do it a couple times a year. They do it at Penn Relays every year and maybe a few other meets. But a lot of the time, you just get the type of coverage where it's just you're watching the race and you're getting the type of commentary that's like, that was 63 seconds for 400 meters, which means they're on 412 pace. This guy is still in first. This guy is still in second. That is what you get most of the time. You get it from runner space a lot too. And I feel kind of bad even bringing that up because like you listen to some of these guys and you can tell they just don't know how to call a track race. But what really bothers me about flow track is they proved it last weekend that they have the talent and the knowledge and the analysis to do it in real time in an exciting way. And so a big reason I ha- I take issue with them is they charge the premium prices. I don't know exactly what they're charging now, but back in 2015, when I briefly subscribed for like a month, you would either have to pay $20 a month or you could pay $150 for a full year, which is um, you know over $12 a month. And to pay that much, which I would say is premium pricing, and to only get premium coverage maybe once a quarter or a couple times a year, it is outrageous in my opinion. And on their website, they put almost everything besides Workout Wednesday, which is great that that's accessible, everything else behind that paywall their documentaries, their race coverage, and even their like power rankings. They'll be like, hey, here's our our top 10 NCAA men's cross-country runners. You know, click the link to uh, to see the list. Oh, but but you got to pay the money to see our, our rankings here. And it really just, in my opinion, that's why I take such issue with these guys is if you're going to charge premium pricing, deliver consistent premium coverage. And they don't do that. And it makes it even frustrating when they do, because you know they have the capability, but they they just must not have the resources to do it all the time, yet they charge this money anyways. So that is why 
we boo when we see a good race is on flow track because I'm out here, gosh darn it, fighting for the little guy, fighting for blue-collar America, trying to grow the sport. And I am sorry, but if you are going to charge premium pricing, you better deliver a premium product to blue-collar America. And that is what we do on this program, free of charge. So, you're welcome. Okay, okay, deep breaths, deep breaths. We got to transition to the last part of the show, which is going to be just sort of announcing what the heck is going on this weekend. Of course, the biggest race is mine, so uh, that's really all you need to mark on the calendar. But besides that, which, yes, you'll get the, the Strava if you follow me there, there are two big track meets that are, uh, I will say, very different from each other. One of them will start here. There's another meet at Hayward Field in Eugene, Oregon, the Oregon Twilight Meet. This one's going to be on Runner Space Plus, and I have alluded to it before that last year's Oregon Twilight had an incredible 1,500-meter showdown between Cooper Tier, Cole Hawker, and Yard Nagoose, and that one was crazy. It looked like Cooper was going to take it, and then Nagoose did literally like a Superman dive at the finish line, and just by sticking out his shoulder in kind of like a, a Michael Phelps freestyle stroke, he got the win by that much in a 335. I mean, it, they were absolutely cooking in that race. So this one, it's going to have a couple of those guys. Um, we're going to have Tier and Hawker. Uh, Hawker is going to be doubling with the 800 and 1500. They're just about an hour and 15 minutes apart. And we're going to have Cooper Tier. Looks like he's going all in for the 1500 meters. So that is going to be the premier event of the track meet. And this just put a smile on my face. Oregon has named this the McChesney 1500. And I didn't mention it, but in the Oregon relays a couple weeks ago, they called the 5K the McChesney 5K, which is named after one of the greatest distance runners of all time who you may not know. For whatever reason, Bill McChesney's name hasn't been as widely spread out uh, as others. But when you look at what this guy did and just kind of how it all ended too, very similar to Steve Prefontaine. And I, I didn't pull any, any notes together, but I kind of know this stuff because I'm me. So, you know, quick, quick rundown. You, you need to know who this guy is because if I were to put a Mount Rushmore of Oregon athletes, of Oregon distance runners, we'll say, because we don't want to get into the, the sprints as well, where like obviously Raven Rogers would, would be on this list. But if I were going to put a long distance Mount Rushmore of Oregon male runners, just to make it kind of more compartmentalized here, my four would be 
Edward Chezarek, 17 NCAA titles. I think he's got to be on there. Galen Rupp, ever heard of him? Steve Prefontaine, obviously. And Bill McChesney. And you might say, what? How This guy over Matt Centrowitz and, and Cooper Tier? Yes, absolutely. So Bill McChesney ran for Oregon, I want to say just about four, three or four years after Prefontaine. So he, he started there in the late 70s and he ended his career in the early 80s. And he threw down some monster times, qualified for the 1980 Olympic team, but did not get to compete because the U.S. Uh, boycott the Moscow Olympics that year. It was the same year that the hockey team won that miracle on ice against the Soviet Union. So they competed there, but then the summer games, the U.S. boycott. So he didn't get to compete at the Olympics, but a couple years later, 1982, his senior year, he set some records at Oregon that stood for a long time. 1982, okay? A time when there were no super shoes, there were no super spikes, a time when the number one song in America was The Eye of the Tiger, Bill McChesney ran 27.50 for 10K. That record at, of, of Oregon stood for 25 years until the aforementioned Galen Rupp broke it. And he ran 13.14 for 5K. And that one stood for 40 years until Cooper Tier broke it last year. These were not scrub times, and he was doing it in those old Nike shoes that Paul was talking about on episode one of this season. And Bill McChesney is so heartbreaking and tragic, but 10 years after he ran those times, at age 33, he died in a car accident. And so, gone too soon, tragic end, similar to Steve Prefontaine, but this guy was one of the greatest to ever do it, even in his short career. And so I'm glad Oregon gives that recognition to at least maybe make the fans ask that question. Why is it called the McChesney 1500 or at the Oregon Relays, the McChesney 5K? It is because this guy really was that good and that revolutionary for the sport. So that's the Oregon Twilight. The other meet is going to be a bit different. The sound running track meet. This one, I am apologizing again. But there is no other way to describe the talent that is combined at this sound running track meet other than to say... We have some heavy hitters here. We have some heavy hitters in some 1500s and some 5Ks. And if you know sound running, these meets are more designed for athletes to get world standards. So they want to get 
fast enough times to be able to compete at the uh, world championship trials this summer and get that world standard if they make the team. So I have a long list of runners here. Uh, Women's 1500, it's really kind of the OAC versus Pete Julian's group. So you've got Alicia Monson and Sage Herta from the OAC, and then Shannon Osika and Sinclair Johnson from the Union Athletics Club. So it's a OAC versus UAC, a little athletics club duel. The men's 1500, you've got Yard Nagoose making his outdoor debut. Really got my eye on that one to see how he responds after a pretty difficult end to his indoor season. You've also got Brian Fay, who's leading the NCAA in the 5K right now, threw down that monster kick on Morgan Beetlescombe. You got Vincent Ciotti, Ciotti who just took down the uh, uh, Road Mile Championship last week. And you've got Sam Prakel, who made the American Indoor 1500-meter team. What is interesting, though, is that in the quote-unquote slower section of the 1500, Colin Solomon is going to be there, the high school senior who's run a 358 mile. Moving up to the 5Ks, just got to mention these events and then we will wrap up. Women's 5K, we have Whitney Orton, who is a BYU alumni. Also, a couple more Adidas women, Taryn Rawlings, Ellie Hennis, the NCAA champ in that distance last year. And Edna Kurgat, who I can't think of the last time I saw her race, but she was an NCAA champ maybe back in 2019, I think, a little bit ago, but she was an absolute legend. And then I have heard murmurs that Josette Norris may be there as well, who was just on the world indoor team. But this men's 5K, I have a long list of it is the heaviest of hitters that we have Edward Chesarek, David Ribich and Josh Kerr, the Brooks Beast guys, Drew Hunter and Sam Parsons from Tin Man Elite. We've got Joe Klecker from the On Athletics Club. We've got a Connor Mance versus Patrick Deaver rematch, the 10K boys from last summer in the NCAA. We've got the NAU guys, Abdi Hamid Nur, Drew Bosley, Nico Young, and the heaviest hitter of all heavy hitters has made his way. He has made his way to the United States of America. His name is Jakob Ingebrigtsen, and you may remember him as being a man who won the gold medal in the 1500 meters last year with an Olympic record time well under three minutes and 30 seconds and he also ran a sub 1250 in the 5k in Monaco last summer and he's coming here to sunny California to take these guys on and he's not coming here to run a scrub time no 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 airfare is not Not cheap enough for that. He's coming here to run a world standard time, and we're going to see what kind of fitness level he's at. The guy just got a silver medal 
with COVID at uh, World Indoors. Like he had COVID and he got a silver medal. He got like tested after the race and, and actually kind of a lot of guys got it, which is what happened. But he still got the silver medal. So uh, watch out for him. That is going to be legendary. This one is a $6 pay-per-view cost. And as I kind of close out here, I'm going to do my best to sell you on why we support paying the money now, but why we don't support that operation that I was talking about earlier. Well, number one, Sound Running, who, who is putting this on, they actually organize the track meet. Uh, Flow Track, believe it or not, they did not organize the pen relays. Uh, Pennsylvania organized that. Sound Running puts the logistics together to get these athletes in one location. They get the track reserved. They get the pacing set up for these races. And also, of this $6 you pay, $4 of it goes to a prize pool for the athletes. So what, they, what they're doing to try to grow the sport and to try to, to do it for Blue Collar America like I'm doing, they make it in a way to where the athletes have an incentive with a prize pool. It is affordable enough to where for they only do like three of these a year, maybe four. So, okay, I can pay $6 like four times a year. It's affordable for you, the consumer. And like I said, $4 to the athletes, I will gladly give $2 to the organization that is organizing the gosh darn event. So that is my sales pitch uh, for making purchases such as this. We are a small business podcast. Support your local running store always. I say it again, support. I am a small businessman. I buy Girl Scout cookies as often as possible, and we support sound running. So as we wrap up the show here so I can get to bed for this 10,000-meter cross-country race, uh, if you'd like to contact the show, chiptimepod at gmail.com, that is your speed dial. HMU, hit me up, DM me, whatever you got, hit me up. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify, And give us a five-star review, if you would like, on Apple. We read all reviews on the show. We got a couple five-stars last week, so thank you guys for that. Really appreciate it. And if you'd like to join the Chip Time Strava group, all you need to do is follow me on Strava, and I will get you added in. So remember... Charles coming in next week. That's gonna that is the heaviest hitter. What am I talking about with Jakob? Charles is the heaviest hitter. He just beat Molly Seidel at the Boston Marathon. So we're gonna have him next time. But for now, keep working hard and we'll see you next time.